Welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal, nothing is just business. Because it's how we use our personal skills every day that makes us happy, both at home or at work. And let me tell you right off the bat, you will love this episode. Why? Because it's all about the power of your story. And I know what I'm saying. Hear me out. My guest for this episode is Steffi Black, who is a powerhouse storyteller and a kindness teacher. Her story, in short, is this. She is a former television personality and featured author in Ready, Aim, Thrive, an Amazon bestseller on discovering how to flourish and prosper from today's top experts. Steffi is a life and career transitions coach and founder of Women's Virtual Networking Group, Connection Corner. As founder of Spread the Kindness, she aims to share the importance and implement a plan for more kindness in today's workplace. Her keynote presentation, Why Kindness Matters Today, How Planning to Incorporate Kindness in the Workplace Creates Powerful and Positive Change, includes a monthly curriculum outline and concrete tools to create lasting change in the workplace. She aims to share hashtag spread the kindness workplaces in Canada and abroad and currently organizes spread the kindness action plans during the International Random Acts of Kindness Week. She is a prolific spokesperson and her kindness program has been featured on Canvas Global Systems and many radio and television outlets across the globe. And you don't have to take my word for it when I say you will love this episode, but please do, because Steffi will take you on a journey of how, as an introvert, she worked so many extrovert-related jobs in the media and marketing and why she liked that. How astrology is, in fact, science and a few fun facts about who applied it thoroughly in history. Why kindness matters in the workplace and how it can be taught. What Ho'oponopono is as a philosophy and how that connects to kindness and how most of the time when there's a problem we're there you will see what she means by that because here we go so welcome Steffi it's so nice to have you here on the all personal podcast Roxana, it's a pleasure to be here. I love what you do interviewing people and having a different perspective on the whole interview process. Yeah, thank you so much. It's good, great feedback to have. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, and okay, I know that you already told me a little bit about you, mm-hmm. uh, but I also wanted to you know, give you the chance to introduce yourself just shortly to our audience today, and then we'll take it from there. That sounds great. I am a life career coach and kindness advocate, uh, which right now means a lot of different hats. I do life and career coaching for individuals, and uh, I do kindness work in the office. Those that are looking for a warmer, caring environment, I do presentations and monthly plans, and I do occasional schools as well. And right now, I'm building a new business, taking those skills into the security profession. Oh, security. That sounds really, <laughs> really serious. Yes. Wow. So how did you, how did you get to do what you're doing now? I mean, what brought you here? Right, right. Well, boy, 
Boy, oh boy, Roxanne, I'm a Gemini. So (laughs) (laughs) if you pay attention to astrology, we like to to play around with our careers. And I was always fascinated by what people did. Uh, As a young person, I love playwriting and telling stories. You know, right now my favorite series is The Moth, Uh about short personal stories about people's lives. And uh, in university, I did acting, you know, not very well, but I got out Uh there and did it and uh, was always comfortable, even though I was a shy girl and even an introvert. I didn't know it at the time. I loved presentations because you could tell a story. And uh, after university, I got a job in a radio station my last year of university working at a heavy metal station. I'm this (laughs) tiny little thing working at a heavy metal station, going across the border to Kingston, uh, sorry, to the United States and working in Kingston and Brockville doing uh, radio, like stage shows Mm -hmm. and soap opera updates. And from there, global TV beckoned, but that was after I got every rejection letter going, right? You can imagine all the young people wanted to get into TV and radio. And radio was my first love, but I got a job as a receptionist at uh, a TV station. And um, from there, I worked there for eight months and kept volunteering and doing whatever needed to be done. And that was in the era of Bob McAdory and Elaine Loring. And I would sweep floors. And then I auditioned for a kid's show and mm-hmm. became a host of a show called Kids Beat. And my first story was on uh, a Jesuit priest who helped the poor in India. And I always liked telling stories, Roxana. So from there... After a decade in television, I moved to Montreal for a short time and started doing communications back to Toronto, took a detour as an agent because I loved stories again, Mm -hmm. right? You're presenting people and the stories they tell, but it was the bad fit. I practically cried at my desk for uh, a couple of months because it was telemarketing and you were meant to close sales of high amounts, very pressure cooked. And from there, I needed to reevaluate who and what I was. And I got the opportunity to meet the president of a healthcare system mm-hmm. who where my aunt had passed away in palliative care. And I saw his vision. I'm a big believer in strong leadership with core values. And I got to work for the healthcare system and started off in communications and moved up into VP of marketing and some fundraising too. And from there, I had my first daughter. I hope this isn't too long a story. I'll go to the end quickly. (laughs) Had my first daughter. And then uh, I went back to school for coaching. My husband had opened up a small firm. He was working at the firm and and the the leader at the time asked him to take over. And I said, please take over. Mm -hmm. I'll help you with marketing and HR. And because I always liked working with people and dealing with people problems. That was actually my favorite part is empowering people to feel good about Mm -hmm. themselves and remember their own personal story. And uh, I went back to school for coaching, solution-focused coaching at U of T and did some other training and uh, opened up my own uh, coaching business, much Mm -hmm. like you do. And I realized my favorite part was the connection of life and career and and helping people. Again, we go back to Roxana, just in talking to you, the story, right? Mm -hmm. Helping people tell their stories. So I I could diverge a lot, but I'm going to stop there (laughs) because you can ask me what's important to your audience. You know what? While you were talking, I had like a million questions in my head. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to just go back because as you say... The story is really important to you. Mm. And it was interesting to hear you say that, um, you know, you were shy and yes. as a child and that you were introvert, just that you didn't know. Yes. Uh, that yes. is what it was called. Um, and yet your, your journey so far, it took you through a lot of places that are not the... Um, necessarily the introvert related ones right so it's a lot of no acting radio tv marketing that's a lot of extrovert um labels right right think about extroverts in this kind of roles and this is what where i wanted to ask you what do you think about being an introvert or an extrovert because i feel like sometimes we we find excuses. Oh, I can do this because I'm an introvert, and we 
easily put the label on. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Is is that is that a real excuse? Is that, is that a real thing? Like, can you use it? And um, if not, then how was it for you as an introvert to do all of these extrovert related roles? Very good question. Never been asked that. Um, first of all, I didn't know what an introvert was. Mm -hmm. I just know I had an extreme shyness and I pushed myself uh, to lose myself in performing or acting or speaking. Mm -hmm. So I felt I came alive in those roles where as it sometimes in group situations, I found it very uncomfortable. I wasn't one to sit around and chat away to people. If it didn't have a purpose, I would feel a little bit lost, you know, awkward and shy. And uh, it wasn't until I picked up the book, The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Anon in my 20s, and it made me angry. I'm not that sensitive. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't ready for it. And I just know that I retreated a lot at a certain time in my 20s with socialization. I didn't want to do group get, get togethers and activities. I very much am a lone wolf in many ways. Um, so all I knew is that once again, I like to tell story and help people. So in doing that, I would push myself to get out of my comfort zone. Um, but I was never the one who wanted be the, to be front and center. So I did struggle with being on TV. And I mean, I was very be celebrity at most, but I would get recognized occasionally in Toronto. And I was never comfortable with the attention. Right. Uh, maybe in my early 20s, I sort of welcomed it just for your ego, mm -hmm. but I didn't own uh, the attention. And I remember that Marion Williamson quote of, who are we not to own the light within us? I'm quoting it incorrectly. It's been attributed to Nelson Mandela, but Marion Williamson was very clear of that we are meant to shine our light and I struggled with owning my light, whether I was a VP of marketing for a healthcare system and on the senior team and, and doubting whether I deserve to be there or being on camera and not feeling I was, I really should get that attention when other people were probably better or so introverts tend to not want extra attention, but underneath our ego doesn't want to be ignored either. Mm -hmm. So I, I pushed myself because I felt I should do well in life. I, sh I wasn't academic. My mom was a real academic and she was a, a columnist for the Globe and Mail too. Mm -hmm. Very, very bright. Uh, my dad was more a people person, but did well in the stock world of, as an analyst with Midland Doherty and, uh, you know, overseas for many years. Yeah. And so I pushed myself. I had very young parents who weren't around much, and I felt that I needed to do something to find my mm -hmm. voice because I wasn't sure how to be an introvert in the extroverted world. So I think it was pushing myself out of the comfort zone. Now, Roxana. For all those introverts out there, I understand mm -hmm. it. I'm very clear that I can only do so much group stimulation before I have to retreat back into my yeah. own cave. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Um, and I can totally relate to that because um, I come from a place of extreme shyness as well. And I wasn't ah, kindergarten. so you know. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't have any friends when I was in kindergarten. So they... Uh, they labeled me as antisocial and then when I started right. school I was still very very shy so but, mm -hmm. um, I what I noticed was that depending on the situations that you're in and what you need to do on a regular basis this can also change so that extreme shyness which is not always introversion because introversion is not it's not shyness. It's just it's mm. just how how you recover after um, interacting with people, right? Shyness is something right. than right. an introvert. But then, as you said, pushing your comfort zone beyond what you're used to, and then do some of the things that you think are uncomfortable now. If you do that on a regular basis, they become a little bit more and more comfortable. Um, so there's mm. there's a way of cultivating um, the, the skills that we have, and this is um, basically this is 
this is my mantra, if you want, like skills are like muscles. So right. the more you use them on a regular basis, the, the, the better they are at showing up when you, when you need to use them. Well, I hope that happens with my financial skills, Roxana. Oh, yes. New business. <laughs> I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Because there's certain skills that are harder than others to exactly. master. Yes. Well, some of them are really academic. So, yeah. Um, right. <laughs> okay. Um, right. And as you were um, talking about, about the, the story and about helping people, tell their story. Um, I, I was wondering what what triggered that in you? When when did that start? When was the story? When did it start to be important to you? Um that's a good question. I think in childhood, I didn't feel I had a strong voice. I had young parents who didn't know what to do with a young girl. And I was often with my grandmother or my aunt. Uh, and I felt because being shy I felt I, I, my story wasn't being told necessarily, not my parents' fault, they were so young, yeah. but that I think I didn't feel I, my story uh, was being told. So I wanted to let other people tell their stories at, this, at the same time so I could discover probably, not even knowing it subconsciously, discover my own story. Mm-hmm. Right. And it pains me. I'm an empath, what you call an empath right. too, right? In, introvert, empath. empath. Uh, so I, I feel people's sensitivities very strongly. That also would overwhelm me in groups. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think people that are intuitive and introverted often feel people's feelings. So you need to protect yourself from other energies and make sure you're strong enough because I used to take on people's issues too much as a coach and as a friend. I would want to help fix. And that's not my role. Yeah. Nor is it, it's arrogant to think you can. And I I had to step back from, ironically enough, I'm alternative Roxana. So I don't do things a conventional way. I'm a strategist as a coach and a business person, but I'm alternative in my beliefs. So it was in a in-depth reading from an astrologer that I realized my biggest weaknesses. And that was fixing people's problems. Mm, Interesting to hear you say that. Right? Um, Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't think about it as a weakness, would we? No, we wouldn't. But it's arrogant to think we can interfere in someone's journey. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a strong interest in a philosophy called, as I mentioned to you, Ho Ho Pono Pono. I've done things like in-depth astrology readings. I'm not a conventional person. It's practical, yes. Hardworking, yes. But I'm alternative in my belief system. So when I was struggling... At a certain time in my life, a friend had said to me, you know, Steph, as a coach, you should even be able to suggest astrology readings because I love psychology, mm-hmm. Roxana, as I'm sure you do too. And astrology is a form. Most people just read the daily horoscopes. They know nothing about it, yeah. right? They think it's silly and playful. And well, the church shut, shut it down during the restoration mm-hmm. period and kings and many leaders used to follow it. I remember making fun of Nancy Reagan for consult, consulting an astrologer for Ronald Reagan swearing in. And when, when he was sworn in initially for one of his leadership roles, she made him do it to the time the astrologer said was fortuitous, oh, wow. which was about midnight. Can you imagine all the people around her going, what is this woman making us do this around the astrologer's clock? But that's that's because I didn't know about mm-hmm. it. And I he, he was a Jungian psychoanalyst. His name is Martin Stock. And he did a powerful reading on me and that there's certain things you come into uh, uh, in your birth chart that are for you to overcome and work with. We have fate versus free will. And I love that. He was like, you know, I have a, won't mean anything necessary to the listeners, but I have my North node in Taurus and it means I'm mothering and protective and I have to be careful of fixing. So right after that read, Roxana, because I'm a believer in learning from what you are shared, what's shared with you is I stopped, I pulled back in both my personal relationships and my coaching relationships in fixing and telling as a coach. And you know, very well, we're about empowering and helping people start their new journey. It's not for me to tell them exactly what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you, and there's a lot of coaches out there who give solutions, and you should 
who shoot people, right? right? You should do this, you should do that. And it's no, no, no. Coach is there primarily to, to ask the big questions. For exactly. To realize or to think about things in a different way or things that you haven't thought before. Or exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, and I, I love your, um, and thank you for the, the astrology story. <laughs> that was, I bet that doesn't come up with many guests, Roxanne. Oh, wow, absolutely. You're the first one. So, yay. Let's celebrate. Yay. Yay. Um, absolutely. And, but, you know, I mean, this is very much applied astrology, right? From kings, right. kings and presidents and now you're saying that it made you realize that hey i need to stop fixing people that's right that's right it was the first person who put it that it was in my birth chart and i like that thought that feeling of destiny and that our, we're here for a purpose to learn and grow in one area especially. So that really appealed to me. Astrology is quite practical if you get a reading. It looks at the different aspects of your, your birth chart and helps you with the things you need to work on, yeah. right? And I think that's brilliant. All, all coaches should enjoy that, right? Because it helps us do our job well. I've done amateur astrology for clients too mm -hmm. who are open mm -hmm. to it. That's, you know what? It's, um, okay, you made me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll send me your birth time after Roxana. After the interview, send me your. I'll do an amateur one for you. <laughs> All right. So, um, I heard you uh, right at the beginning, and I told you I had a million questions about that um, when you introduced yourself, and mm -hmm. you mentioned at some point that you were getting one projection after another when you wanted to go into mm -hmm. TV. Um, and how did you, how did you cope with that? Because we are, um, nobody wants to hear about projection. We're afraid of projection. We don't want to think about it. And when we talk about successful people, we don't associate them with rejection. So how was that for you? How did you right. cope with that? Right. Well, first of all, I think rejection and being fired are, are two of the most powerful things we can do for our ego. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to fall, and I think it's very important to uh, learn from what we call failure. I don't even like the word failure. I like mistakes mm -hmm. better or, 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 or uh, outcomes that are necessary. So when I was in university and I was hosting the radio station updates and I was on the formal committee head of publicity because that's how I pushed myself right and doing my honors degree and then I decided to apply I'm like what am I going to do after school media is so hard to get into and so I applied I didn't want to stay at this station in Watertown New York I wanted to you know go to the big market in Toronto so I applied so many places got all these letters no until two came forward uh, for a CFTR. I don't know if you remember that station, the 680 News, uh, Summer Spotter, and Global TV Receptionist. So here I had gotten all these rejection letters. And I remember speaking to my mother at the time, who's a very driven personality. And she, she said, well, Stephanie, you have to start at the bottom. It doesn't matter that you have a university degree. And I'm not saying uh, receptionist is starting at the bottom, but it just yeah. wasn't using my skills at the time. Mm -hmm. And she said, you, you should put your foot in the door and work really hard and have a great attitude. And so instead of taking the summer spotter, spotter job, which was, I think, just a summer role, I took the full-time television role in mm -hmm. reception. Mm -hmm. And I got rejected even in my first attempt to do a TV role because here I was the receptionist. And I auditioned for the kids' show, and everybody in the newsroom, every young person auditioned for the show. Right. And uh, the news director at the time thought I should be the host, and everybody was angry about that because who was I? Mm -hmm. I came from nowhere, right? I was a receptionist. I wasn't even working in the newsroom. So I didn't – the producer of the show came to me and said, sorry, Steffi, you know, you can't have this role because you haven't paid your dues and other people have. And I was, you know, rejected mm -hmm. there. And I was upset 
but then I had to pick myself up. You know, uh, is it Mario, the race car driver, uh, or Michael Andretti who said, you know, life is a matter of attitude. It isn't always fair, but you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start again. It's a matter of attitude and confidence. Now, I didn't necessarily have the confidence at that age, but I had the the fight in me to, you know, to try again. So I kept working hard and I started sweeping floors and helping in the newsroom do whatever was necessary to get myself in the door. And I, you know, I, I, I don't mind getting coffee and sweeping floors and doing whatever is necessary. And that's how that rejection Mm -hmm. sort of spurred me on to, well, I am disappointed and I'm sure I was very upset at the time, but I better get going, put my nose to the grindstone and figure out what's next. Makes sense. And thank you for sharing that. And I loved your, um, your definition of uh, failure, um, which is not failure, let's call them mistakes, but then let's not call them mistakes. Let's call them outcomes that are necessary. <laughs> and I really love that. Right? Uh, because, yeah, absolutely. It's a totally different perspective. That, you know, and Roxana, that also goes to the universe is not a random place. Yeah. All these difficulties we have and challenges, which can be overwhelming, are also part of our growth. If it was always easy, I don't think we would learn half as much. You know, I was just talking to someone about taking martial arts class. That's how I met my business partner. And I stopped. I love martial arts, but I stopped because I didn't like the group class as much. And I, was, I felt it was too fast for me. And I realized when I was telling the story that it was my ego that had a hard time with not being able to control the movements and the teacher was too fast and too aggressive for me. And I thought, my goodness, do I have another lesson to learn? You know, I was a 52-year-old woman not doing well in a group martial art class and I was a little bit humiliated. And I only realized that. I realized it at the time, but I also realized it and telling the story to this gentleman that that was good for me to be a little bit humiliated. And that maybe I gave up because I didn't have to do it at 52 yeah. years old. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you, you, you thought, I mean, to you, it felt like you were humiliated because I'm sure the, right. the others around you, if you ask them, they wouldn't think that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, absolutely. But when, in telling the story yeah. to him, this was yesterday, I thought, so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have my wuxi dummy in the basement. Mm-hmm. What I call it wuxi. It's a wooden dummy that I bought when I was studying Wing Chun, which is what my business partner teaches. And I thought, wow, I sort of gave up on that. Very, I do Qi Kong now. Uh-huh. I love Qi Kong. Okay. Every morning I meditate and do Qi Kong. Mm-hmm. But just interesting, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the story I told myself at the time was, I don't need to do this. It's a little too hard, too confusing. I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do this. And luckily I transitioned into Qi Kong, but I think also a lot of, a little bit of it was, well, I think this is too hard for me at my age and I don't think I need to do this. So we have to be careful of the stories we also talk ourselves into. Oh yes, exactly. That's what I wanted to say. Sometimes we do, you know, what we think, what was it? Whether you, you think you can or yes. can't, you're right, right? Right, right. Absolutely. That's oh. why at this time of my life, I'm having to, you know, look at balance sheet and income statements. And that to me is the most terrifying thing. I'd rather do the communication, the talking, the HR, the marketing, but to look at yeah. financials, ooh, mm-hmm. right? And that's why it's so good to have that challenge in front of me now. Yeah, it is good. And I think also when we focus on something that's challenging and when we overcome it, that's when we feel so accomplished and relieved. Mm. And it's mm-hmm. that feeling is also, I'm proud of myself that I was able mm. to do something that I really never thought I had uh, an inclination towards. Absolutely. One of the hardest. I think one of the hardest when it's something that you've always been scared of. Like I always didn't like math. I barely got through. I got to drop it after grade 11 because my marks were high and everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to do a new narrative about something that you think you've always been bad at. Right. A new story. Right. We're back to stories. I know. So Roxana, I didn't know I would be talking so much about stories, but it's, it's just came out and I guess it's yeah, true. I guess. Yeah. It's like, 
the main um, the main idea uh, that you know comes up. Uh, time and again. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Don't you find when you coach people too, there's always a thread oh, yes. in people's lives. You know, when I'll, I'll say to them, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a counselor, but I will ask you about your past history because there's a thread in your life that yeah. you may not realize is there. Let's follow that thread. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's how beautifully said. You know what? I wanted to to ask you talking about okay so you said you like doing the HR the communication the marketing obviously and talking to people and all them coaching them what what would be the the main three top three skills that are strong in you that helped you in in your situations so far communication Empathy, uh, non-judgment. Non-judgment. Okay. Wow. That's a tough one, right? That's a very, very tough one. I, I mentioned Ho-Ho-Pono-Pono to you. The reason I love that philosophy is because it believes that what is in, in someone else is in you. So if you're ready to judge someone else, you better look in the mirror because believe it mm -hmm. or not, you have it too. That's why you're triggered about something that you see in the other person, right? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. When, when someone really bothers us, it's, mm -hmm. it's, they call it cleaning, clean on the fact that maybe that's something you need to heal on. You think it's not like you, 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 we don't really know. And also it not interfering in other people's journeys, right? Yeah. Is even a homeless person, we think we want to help them. And of course we can give money and we can be supportive of homeless shelters. Absolutely. But don't interfere in their journey. This may be something they need to go through to learn a lesson. I like that philosophy. I like that philosophy. And that's not saying we don't help people in need, not at all. But we don't judge people and their journeys. Yeah. Very important. We all walk a different path and we all make decisions based on what is comfortable for us. You know, I, I remember Elizabeth Lesser was interviewed Um Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, yeah. Pray, Love. And she said, there are no shoulds in life. You know, people say, oh, I should leave this marriage. I should leave this job. I should be exercising. I should. And I love her quote. She said, there are no shoulds. You, you know, your soul knows when it's ready to make change, not a minute before. So don't feel guilty or ashamed because you don't have the strength to make a change you want. You'll do it when it's ready or you'll be pushed into it because it has exactly. to happen. And it's, um, it's not a matter of something that you should be doing just because other people think you should be doing it. Right, right. I, I, I you know, uh, here we go back to the astrology, but I'm a rising moon Aquarian. That means we don't like that following the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think it's very important not to follow what society tells you is right because it changes all the time and people, you know, push back against millennials who want more vacation mm -hmm. time, who want flexibility yeah. to work at home. Well, good for them. <laughs> good for them. Why should I'm talking to you on this podcast from my home yeah. office. And I am so grateful to be able to re raise my children working part of the time at home yeah. so that they, that they want that good for them and power to them. And people that sit autocratically at their desks and expect everybody to be chained to their offices are not waking up to the real world and what's happening mm -hmm. next. Exactly. And I love to, you know, I was talking about this with, with a friend the other day and I was telling her, look, we're not furniture. We're not supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, so what if I'm not there behind that desk? eight hours a day. Right. What if I'm not there? Right. I can still do the job and maybe better if I'm out there talking to people, connecting to people, doing stuff whenever, I can, whenever I can do it and when I feel inspired to do it, right? So. Absolutely. Right. And, and, you know, and, and also we get, you know, once again, speaking of introverts mm -hmm. and extroverts, intro introverts regroup by quiet. Yes. Extroverts regroup by group. Yes. And I think it's very important to honor that. An empathetic leader understands people's different personalities. When I was the VP of marketing, I had an introverted assistant mm -hmm. and she didn't want to go to the office Christmas party. 
And she didn't say that. I just knew. And I said to her, by the way, you don't have to come to the Christmas party. And I hope she was relieved. You know, I'm not going to give myself credit that she was relieved, but I'm going to assume she was. And she didn't come. And I thought she did her job and she had a good attitude. And going to a staff Christmas party would have been torture. And I was, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like people have different working styles. They have different personalities. We have yes. different learning styles. We have different working styles as well. You know, so, but imagine, Roxana, if the working world becomes even more like that. It's powerful. You know, why do yeah. I, why do I talk about kindness in the workplace? Boy, oh boy, you want to, you want to have a great, productive, interactive office. You bring kindness into the workplace and kindness means non-judgment. Of those that are different than others and inclusiveness and celebration of every single type of person. And, and it's such an important factor in running a good business. We don't have to understand every person, but we can certainly empathize with them. This is what I wanted to ask you because um, maybe people confuse these two notions. And I wanted to ask you if being empathetic, is related to being non-judgmental and where do they diverge well not being a practicing psychologist i'll give you my layman's terms yes uh being empathetic to me is seeing the other person as a whole human being and no understanding that i can't know their whole story so the way they approach a project or a situation is not my right to judge if I don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's my right to give feedback, which you talked about being constructive in the role that you do. By the way, uh, Karen, when you jump in when I'm speaking to the client, it makes me feel uh, you know, inadequate. Would you be willing to let me finish and then we'll work together? And tell me how I can help you. And that's nonviolent communications. Do you know, Mar- are you familiar with the work of Marshall Rosenberg? Yes. I love that man. I love that man. And I've studied nonviolent communications. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a powerful, powerful tool to allow us to empathize. I mean, he would do the Crips and the Bloods. He'd do the Israelis and the Palestinians. And he said, I never heard one word that a person called me. Yes. I refused to listen to the words. I saw the need yeah. in them. How powerful is that when we are accosted by an aggressive person? What is the need? You know, I had a neighbor uh, get very aggressive with our arborist in the backyard, Mm -hmm. cutting down a tree, overhanging. Uh, We're going to be putting in a pool for the kids. Uh, And the neighbor got very aggressive and assertive Mm -hmm. with this arborist and scared him off. And the next day I was out in the backyard and I waved over. They were watching me in my meeting and I just waved over. And I, and then the, the gentleman came over and, and I said, oh, I hope, sir, you're not going to yell at me today. And he said, nope, nope. And he was very coherent and calm. And I thought, boy, if we don't engage yeah. with anger, we're much more powerful. We're much more powerful. And believe me, I am no saint. I'm Celtic in background. I have a good Irish temper. And if, if I see cruelty or mob mentality, I can get angry with the best of them. But I try to look at the person themselves instead of reacting to their angry words. Yeah. And as you said, it's see the need, right? See what's yes. behind what's being said. Because, and usually with aggressiveness and with violence, it's, it's such a huge need of being heard and seen. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's powerful. If we, if we understood each other's, once again, I say stories. That's why I love the moth. Just short stories, yeah. you know, short stories. A young man who was a child soldier and came over to uh, the United States and they were playing war games. And you can imagine what he saw, right? And, and we don't think of that, but we don't understand how certain activities or situations can trigger someone else and not knowing why. If we have empathy, Roxana. We can learn to have non-judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so empathy leads to non-judgment. I, I think so. I think we're always going to judge. I think we're, it's human nature to judge other people. I certainly do it myself. I, you know, I'm no saint, but I so respect 
non-judgment and forgiveness. Boy, the other side of the coin with non-judgment is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If people do something to you, speak your voice. If you can't, let go and learn to forgive. Yeah. Because often they do things out of pain or even, I, I, I think in many situations, it's total ignorance of what they've done. Mm-hmm. It's not on purpose. Yeah. It's total ignorance or it's fear. If you're yeah. left out of something, often that person's fearful of being left out. So they've gone ahead and, and done something ahead mm-hmm. of time from their own fears. Yeah. So I think, I think forgiveness, you know, once again, empathy to non-judgment to forgiveness is one of the most powerful, powerful emotions we can we can do you know uh, went back to my mm-hmm. philosophy that i like hohoponopono the words are that you say when a situation comes up or a person does something are forgive mm-hmm. me i'm sorry i love you thank you forgive me for what is in you is in me thank you for the opportunity by this conflict to clean on that which is in you in me i'm sorry for my role in creating this I love you, meaning I love human nature, right? I love all of us. I mean, just love, right? Just love. And not saying we can do that all the time. It's the words. You don't have to feel that. It's like Dr. Hugh Len, who brought it to North America, had a great quote. He said, have you you ever noticed when there's a problem, you're there? (laughs) I love that line. I love that line. Have you? Let me say it again. Have you ever noticed when there's a problem, yeah. you're there? Wow. You know, that's like profound. So when someone's being crazy, I think to myself, well, I'm here. Trump, you know, uh, a leader on TV, I hated to say the name, but is, is spouting hatred. I'm here. I'm in the room. I don't, I, it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility mm-hmm. to heal on my stuff. Because people that vote in angry people or vote in dictators or allow these things to happen, it's, it's, we've created it. We're not innocent. We're not innocent. So the more we can work on ourselves and heal ourselves on any anger and issues, the more powerful we are because we no longer lead by hate and and judgment. We lead by love and empathy. Mm -hmm. So, and believe me, I'm a work in progress. I'm just sharing people like Marshall Rosenberg and Dr. Hugh Len that I follow and subscribe to their philosophy, which is incredibly uh, forgiving. I mean, if whether you're religious or not, if you go back to the story of Jesus mm-hmm. and how he forgave everybody who turned against him, that's the most powerful form of forgiveness there is. Yeah. It's um, talking about stories. It's a wonderful story of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Power. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, you re- will you remember that line, Roxana? Have you ever noticed? Can you imagine saying to a client, "Have you ever noticed when there's a problem, you're there"? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I guess I am. I guess I am. Right? We're always there when we, when, you know, when we have our problems. We're always there, right? <laughs> Yes, we oh, are. Yes, oh, we are. Yeah, that's, you know what? I'll, I'll remember it now forever. <laughs> it will stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great line. It's such a great line, right? If you ever want to read about the philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Vitelli, a marketer, wrote about the story of Ho Ho Pono Pono. Now, because he's a marketer, the book tries to sell a little bit his programs, but that's okay. That's his job. He does it very well. He does it very well, but it's a great, it's a great story. He, you know, he's at a hypnosis conference and his buddy says to him, did you ever hear about the therapist? He cured a ward of mentally and criminally insane without ever sitting down with them. And Joe Vitale goes, come on, that's a myth. Never sitting down with them. He goes, absolutely did not sit down with them. He cleaned on the wounds in them that were within him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Powerful. It's a very powerful, powerful story, mm-hmm. and it's a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, because you mentioned the, um, the cleanness workshop, and I wanted to ask you about that. So yes. What is the story behind this workshop? And how, how do you make a kindness workshop? How do you teach kindness? Roxana, you ask good questions. Well, first of all, it started, uh, like many ideas, a, a light bulb moment. I have young daughters. I married a Jewish man. I don't like doing things out of duty. I like doing things because they feel right. 
uh, I respect tradition, but I'm not duty bound, if that makes sense. And I was, we do Shabbat dinners and I wanted to have more meaning than just doing a Shabbat dinner. So I started to, my favorite website at the time was Random Acts of Kindness Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I started asking my daughters to do something kind on Fridays when they were five and seven. And what do you mean, mom? I said, well, you know, if you saw, see someone sitting alone, go ask them if they're okay. If somebody drops their bag or a piece of paper, pick it up. Just you tell your teacher, thank you at the end of the week. But I wanted it to be natural. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be too didactic. I just said, just think about how you can be kind. And we called it Kind Fridays. And our neighbors across the street, the Shields, uh, Margie was really supportive of it. When we get together for Shabbat dinner, she'd go around the table and ask everybody to share what they did kind. And from there, the Hebrew teacher at the time, Alana Hendelman, said to me, would you, she heard me talking to my daughter, Layla, my oldest. She said, would you come in and speak about that to us? And at first I was going to say no, right? The introvert in me wanted to go for, no, thank you. (laughs) I don't need to speak in front of your whole class. And a light bulb went off in me and I thought, yeah. And I practically ran home, studied the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation, spoke to teachers and created a workshop that was interactive based on kindness. And so it started just with my daughter's grade one class. And then after that, because I'm strategically based with outcomes, I like to know, I love the smart chart, goals, objectives, and tasks. I used it for strategically planning uh, the healthcare marketing at St. Peter's, and I used it for strategically planning the building of Ronin Protection Services. So I'm a big fan of that. And so I, I planned a workshop and activities that catered to each grade and each type of person. Yeah. Once again, one size does not fit all. So I started doing schools and asking that I speak to each class mm-hmm. or do assemblies broken up into groups because they all learn differently. And then I'd give a monthly uh, curriculum for teachers and ask for teacher leadership uh, contacts to basically work with me on creating it for their class. So it was very individualized, Roxana, and it was a ton of work, a ton of work. And I loved doing it, but my introvert personality would get exhausted by it. I would do two days in different classrooms. And so I've pulled back from doing schools and started doing adult workplaces. So I do lunch and learns on why kindness matters in the workplace. And I do bring in my philosophies that I've shared with you today. And it gets people thinking about things like non-judgment, inclusiveness, the four agreements by Don Miguel Riaz, right? Speak impeccably with your word. Uh, I'm blanking on all the four agreements right now, but many people know them and, and avoid gossip against others. Speak impeccably with your word, always do your best. And he has forgiveness in them in there too. And I basically based a workshop on thinking of these things in the workplace. So it was very simple, but also outcome based, right? Don't make assumptions. That was, that was it. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally right? Nothing anyone says or does is because of you. It's their own story. And don't make assumptions. You think someone's talking behind your back? Either have the courage to address them on it or let it be. Let it be. You don't know the story. So uh, I would do, I do lunch and learns and more talks in workplaces and ask workplaces if they really want to make an impact of making change to commit to a week or a month. So I did the Niagara Falls library system and the woman who was my contact was amazing. She was right into it. She had all the different library branches do it. And even if it ends up being one outcome, like for instance, instead of a birthday card for a staff member, put bring a, a card and go have it go around the building or an email that says one kind word about that person. I know people who have kept their kind words in their top drawer, remembering what makes them special. So very simple, but outcome-based. Hearing you describe um, how, how it goes, um, I can totally see. And I, um, I preach kind of the same thing in, in, in the feedback workshops that I do. I'm sure you do. With, with not making assumptions, which is so difficult because we're making assumptions without even realizing we're making assumptions. Right, right. right. 
and um, it's yeah, it's difficult not to, to make them. But I think once we become aware that hey, I might be making an assumption that I'm not even aware of, so I better ask a question. Yes. Um, you know, and find out if it's an assumption or if it's the reality, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's it's, I know it's so not easy to do. Listen, as you and I both know, (laughs) conflict in the workplace is one of the most stressful things. Conflict at home, dealing with personal problems is one of the most difficult things. Mm You know, uh, I have a friendship with a woman who's very direct and honest, but I remember I used to have a hard time with it because she wouldn't let anything go. And then I realized it was just because she was trying to really make sure it was honest and the, and the communication was full of integrity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very hard for people to do it, but that's what you and I will coach on in those, in those situations. Bring solutions, not problems to people. How can we work together mm-hmm. better? Am I being sensitive to your uh, feedback to me? Is there something that makes us work even more together? Even with my teenagers, you know, uh, nonviolent communications is so powerful. Instead of you're doing this wrong, is mommy doing something that Mm -hmm. makes it hard for you? When I do that, I'm so much a better mother than when I do. Why Off the technology, get off. I'm tired of seeing you on it, right? Whereas if I sit down... Is there something I can do to help you get off the technology? Because I'm worried your marks are going to fall behind because it is addictive, mm-hmm. honey. It is addictive. So what can we do together to make it easier? It's a different kind of conversation, right? Where yes. everybody feels good about being in the conversation. Yeah, that's a be- Roxana, that's a beautiful way to put it. It's a different kind of conversation mm-hmm. where everyone feels good about being part of it. Yeah. You should quote that. You should quote that. <laughs> I will. No, I mean it. I it's a very good one. <laughs> Right? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, <gasps> um, we don't have too much time left. So and yes. I really wanted to ask you, um, what's the best mistake that you've done? Wow. That's a good, that's a good question. This is why I didn't look ahead, right? <laughs> uh, what's the best mistake that I have done? It doesn't have to be perfect. Taking the job job as an agent instead of two other job Mm -hmm. offers and sitting on the phone and cold calling people all day and learning to tell a story and and not have, have people hang up on you or reject or I guess, yeah, I I don't know that there's one. Mm -hmm. I think there's many mistakes I've made. Right? I think yeah. there's many mistakes I've made. I'm, I, I love the word. Have you ever, you know the word messy? Yeah. I love the word messy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working with some other ladies and we're talking about, you know, a raw and real conversations, right? Yeah. And one of the words that's come up a lot along with raw and real is messy. Mm-hmm. We're all messy. When we pretend to be all together and all knowing, we lose our humanity with other people. And I think if we can be more open, and if messy is a scary word to people, because it is, I'm not messy. I'm not messy. (laughs) You know, people don't like that word. Well, I'm messy, Roxana. I'm messy. Like, I don't mean all the time, but I make mistakes. I forget things. I'm, I'm, I can be airy, right? I'm all air, Gemini (laughs) Aquarius. I'm all air. I can leave the garage door open, but work on a big project and present it to a thousand. So we're all different components of ourselves. So I think I've made a lot of mistakes and, and some of them being, I take too long, you know, I can be a bit dreamy, but it's also part of who I am in, in sharing total warmth and empathy when I'm there, you know, when I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm here with you now, right? So I don't know that I have one main mistake. I think I have many mistakes I've made. And I don't even like the word mistake. Once again, I think it's a necessary outcome, (laughs) right? Right. I I think mistake or failure makes us pinned by that word and feel, oh, I did this mistake. No, you you, you were a bit messy. What do you want to do now? What do you want to do now? Oh, well, you know, when I get a client, I stayed too long in this job or I should have, you know, there's that should word. I should, no, 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 no. Wow. What are you going to discover mm-hmm. now? 
What's your next mm-hmm. adventure? What's your next, right? And I think my mistakes have, have led up to who I am. I'm not a perfect person. I make mistakes. I am messy. I am yeah. raw and real. And when I hold back from that, that's where I'm not living with my heart. So I think mm-hmm. I've made many mistakes and I think they formed who I am. And I hope they continue to form who I am. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And you you reminded me with the messy part. You reminded <laughs> me of um, what Brené Brown says about um, the the magic is in the mess. Oh, I love that. I didn't. I like her, and I didn't even know she said yeah. that. Yeah, the magic is in the mess. You know. Absolutely. Living room conversations, raw and real, messy. Let's own more of what makes us who we are. Instead of following society's dictates of what we should be. Powerful stuff. The millennials are, are teaching us to break it open. And it may not be to what people like all the time. We may not be as cordial as or polite mm-hmm. as other generations. I'm not a millennial, but but there's always uh polarities when change happens. And I'm happy that this kind of change is happening. I mean, yeah, I'm Me happy too. living in these times. Um, and before I let you go, I have a question mm. about um, what's one thought of wisdom um, that you want to share with the audience today? It can be a quote or a thought, a book, a video, a movie, whatever it, whatever it is for you. I wish I could remember, and I'm a quote queen, but because I have so many quotes in my head, I, I, I leave a, a few. Marion Williamson, who are we not to own our light? Who are we not to shine our light on all of we are? Mario Andretti, life is a matter of attitude. It's not always fair, but you better pick yourself up and start again mm-hmm. when you fall. And I'm misquoting here. This is verbatim. Uh, I love, have you ever noticed when there's a problem, you're there. Heal on yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about judging other people. Look at how you can own your light and grow. So I don't have one quote. I guess I'm a, a there we go, my Gemini self, right? <laughs> I do, I, I'm an, a conglomerate of many. And I love the messy Brene Brown quote that you just yeah so i'll make a right right (laughs) yeah so uh, i'm i'm a conglomerate i'm a conglomerate of different quotes (laughs) not being one just being many that i so but it's about the messiness of life there is no one right way right there's peace begins with me (laughs) right Oh, yes. That is another one, right? That's another one. That's another one, right? Peace begins with me. Beautiful. Isn't that true? Yes, beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing everything today. It was, uh, it was very packed of, you know, ideas that we, I'm sure everybody who listens to this episode is going to be chewing on ideas from this one. A whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas they've never thought about, I'm sure. A little alternative, a little alternative for your business audience, oh, Roxanne. Yes. But but thoroughly enjoyable because you ask very good questions. You ask some questions, and I'm an, I'm a former interviewer. One of my favorite things is interviewing people, and you ask good questions that make us think uh, outside of conventional questions. So thank you for the opportunity to share stories, yours and mine, and other people's in this conversation. Thank you so much, Debbie, for being here and being so inspirational. It was great to have you here. Absolute pleasure. What did I tell you? Are you ready for a replay? Are you going for the full episode or which part of it? I can tell you where my mind is right now. And the first take is easy because it will definitely be when there's a problem, you're there. And yes, 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 I am. 
It's so straightforward and yet I never thought about it this way. Or is it going to be that part where we realize how easy it is to spread kindness with the power of a good story, of a good conversation which everyone feels good being part of? Or is it that part where Sefi talks about failure, which is not failure but a mistake, and what are mistakes but outcomes that are necessary? What are some of the outcomes that were necessary to you? Looking back, don't they all seem more than just necessary, but rather essential for the person you've become? I'm off now, hoping you can hear echoes of this conversation in your mind and smile while making it all personal. Until next time.